listening to the Living Room North Living Room North Living Room North podcast. mentioned earlier, we are in week two of our Note to Self series. So if you weren't here last week, what we're doing is we're having some of our favorite communicators come in and just give a little 15-minute TED Talk style um, conversation about things that they wish that they had known in college. So we've got Chad Joseph Ward and Beth Brady with us here tonight. And first up is Mr. Chad Joseph. So he's a recent UGA grad. He studied at Oxford and he is presently at Dallas Theological Seminary through our North Point residency program. Uh, he has nearly bought an Apple Watch on an impulse buy for the last, every day for the last three months which I don't think he understands the meaning of the word impulse buy, but that's what he told me. And he's number seven on the Enneagram, but number one in our hearts, it's Mr. Chad Joseph Ward. No self, clean the living room. Do the things you don't want to do. Maybe fold that weak old pile of clothes. No self, get some exercise Feels bad and you have to try But as far as I can tell That's how life goes And note to self Don't let yourself worry quite as much It'll end up fine enough It always has up until now Something else You should think of other people a little more You should have thought of that before Cause of everything this is the first note that you wrote for someone else Note to self Awesome, T-O-R, how are we doing this evening? We doing good? Come on, that's awesome I love a little Ben Rector, so that is, uh, that is the best way, honestly, to start this. Well, hey, my name is Chad Joseph, and I'm super excited to be here. I'm excited to be here for a couple reasons. The first one, I don't know if y'all know this, but I love uh, the living room. I love this group of people specifically. Uh, this has a special place in my heart. I consider this to be family. Uh, so to be a part of our home away from home uh, for me is super special. So thank you so much for having me. And I know what some of you are thinking is like, Chad, I didn't ask for you to be here. Uh, so I'm sorry. You'll have Beth in a minute, but you're stuck with me uh, for now. But seriously, though, I'm really excited to be here. And the second reason why is that whenever Ryan asked for me to consider, hey, what is that thing? Or what are those things that if you could go back and talk to like freshman year Chad, like what would you tell him before he begins his college journey or begins his career post-graduating high school? And in thinking about that, I got to reminisce on the glory days, right? Like all the days that I had in college, because seriously, college are some of the best years of your life. And in looking at this, I had a lot of fun moments. I had a lot of great moments, but I also had a lot of embarrassing moments. Like, can anybody say that they've had embarrassing moments uh, since being in college first? Yeah, we have a couple of truth tellers and the rest of you are lying because every one of us has had that moment at some point thus far that has just been super embarrassing. So I wanna start off by telling you a story about a time uh, that I really don't wanna tell you, but the Lord was like, hey, do it. So I'm like, okay. Uh, but seriously, this is crazy. So I went on a couple of dates in college. I dated a couple of girls. And so imagine sophomore year Chad is beginning a relationship with his first date. Uh, and out of respect for her, cause that's a little bit too close to home. I'm just gonna give her a fake name. So I went on a date with Blake Lively. Uh, and so me and Blake, uh, we're going on this date. And it's the first date that we experienced at the very beginning of sophomore year. Blake and I, we had been friends for a while, but this is time, finally the time for us to go 
on this date. And so we went to this place in downtown Athens called Trapeze Pub. And if you know anything about trapeze, you know that they have good burgers. If you know a little bit more, you'll know that there was a rumor about Trapeze Pub. They call it the trapeze trap because you don't go on first dates to trapeze because every single person that goes on a first date to trapeze pub, uh, it doesn't end up working out. Like it's super bad. Nobody ends up doing it, but little uh, Chad Joseph had no idea about the trapeze trap. And so he walked straight into the trapeze trap. It was an amazing date. It was incredible. It was one of the best dates I've ever been on. Hence why I do the thing that I did next. I thought it was absolutely incredible. I ended up dropping her back off at her house and I like walk her to her door or to her like her apartment or whatever. And so I'm sitting out in front of there and I'm thinking like, I got to kiss this girl. And I know you're thinking like, Chad, don't kiss on the first date. And it's like, well, again, note to self, I wish I would have known that. And so I go in to kiss her expecting a smooch, but instead I get her makeup right here on the side of her cheek because she had totally just dodged uh, that moment with me. Like, I don't understand, like just like this moment of, like, I thought she liked in the matrix or something, like she dodged the bullet that was me, right? And so immediately I'm thinking like insecurity is filling my head. And I'm just like, what am I supposed to do? This relationship, like, is not going to work out. And so we ended up dating for over a year. And so that was the beginning of that relationship with me and Blake Lively. Uh, And so fast forward a little bit over a year and we're just like texting, you know how you text. It's like, love you like 20 times a day. It's like at some point just to make sure they still agree. Uh, And so this is, we're going to bed and it's time uh, to say goodnight. And so I text something to the effect of goodnight, I love you, heart emoji and expecting something along the same lines, just like you do that, it's the, it's the agreement. And instead of getting good night, I love you, heart emoji, I got good night, see you tomorrow. Now in this moment, I am literally freaking out. Like my text screams, I am committed to you and love you. Her text screams like, I know of you. Like these are two completely different relationship points, especially a year into dating. And this began uh, the next month of my life that was just heartbreaking and heart ripping of this moment of, hey, this relationship that you've loved and this relationship that you have just really put on a pedestal is slipping uh, from your grasp. And if I was to go around the room and ask each and every one of you of college thus far or college, like whenever you went to college for the adults in the room, I guarantee you that there is a moment that you have, are, or will experience that is a little bit insecure or is a little bit unstable. And so we have these two ideas of insecurity and instability. And whenever these things happen in our lives, our natural instinct is to grip a little bit tighter. Rather than like taking a step back and finding a foundation that is solid, it's, hey, I, don't re- I really don't wanna let go of this thing that I'm holding on to. I really don't wanna let go of this relationship because like it is so foundational for me and who I am. I don't know what I'm gonna do if it's not there anymore. And as we grip on tighter, the thing about this world is that, that there are very few things that'll last forever. And by that, I mean, just about nothing. And so what happens to you whenever you're holding on tight? and that thing fades away. What happens whenever the ground that is underneath you crumbles? And so I wanna spend a little bit of time uh, reading through some scripture of a guy named Paul in the book of Philippians. You see, this letter was written in the most unfortunate of circumstances, uh, but what he says, I think, sets the stage for what we want in those moments in our life whenever we are insecure or unstable. So we're gonna flip uh, to Philippians 4, chapter, or Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 12. 
It says, I am not saying this because I am in need for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And you see that insecurity and that instability for you, it might not be a relationship, but in that moment, whenever our grades are slipping, our majors are changing, our career experiences, roadblocks, our friends are broken and then relationships are ending. What happens in that moment whenever we are feeling insecure, unstable? And you see, Paul wrote this passage in jail, right? Like he wasn't writing like this wise scripture with his coffee and his giving key and his pour over and all that with music on, listening to Hillsong, like to the mass. Like, no, he's writing this in the worst of circumstances. But what he's saying is that in every situation, I can be content. I can be content in any and every situation. And so I want you to think about what that thing is in your life that leads to that instability, that leads to that insecurity and think, man, what do I need to do? What has to happen to my heart to be able to be that type of content in any and every situation? If I asked everybody in the room to raise your hand, I guarantee we would all want whatever that guy has. And see, I think the secret to having a heart that is that type of content comes in some of the words that Jesus says in one of his most famous sermons he ever preached in the Sermon on the Mount. And so this comes out of Matthew chapter six. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And this verse a lot of times is used in like the context of money. Like, hey, where you're spending your money is gonna be an indicator of where your heart is, where your true cares are, where your desires are. But I really think that we can apply that too to all the things that we need money for, right? Like, or the work that we put in to get that money. In order to get it, we have a lot of time. We have a lot of effort. We have a lot of caring. Our job or the thing that we need to get what we want, we think about constantly. And whenever I think about the time and the care and the desires and the want, I begin to think about all those things that we listed off earlier that can lead to that insecurity or instability in college grade slipping, manger changing, manger, right? Jesus in a manger, your manger changes. Uh, Your major changing, your friendships breaking or your relationships and dating breaking. And so I begin to think about whenever these things go, if that is your treasure, if that is the thing that you cannot live without, what happens to your heart? Because if this is true for where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. It can also be said, as your treasure goes, so goes your heart. As your relationship goes through the shredder, what does that mean for you and your heart? What does that mean for you and your heart? And so it begs the question, what is your treasure and what type of treasure is it that I need to hold on to? So that way my heart can be content in every situation. What treasure results than a heart that is content in any and every situation. And so I begin to think about what this treasure must be that will result in a heart that is content. And it's gotta be one that doesn't fade, right? It's gotta be something that doesn't fade. It can't fail us. It's not gonna be something that is against us. It's not gonna be something that will forsake us or turn our back on us. In fact, it's gotta be something that is pretty constant, that is always available and is more than anything else can provide. It's gotta be something that will never leave us nor forsake us, but in fact gives us life and life to the full. 
And my argument today is that that treasure is something that we call the gospel is the good news. The fact that Jesus died, but he did better than that. And he rose again for me and you. And he promised that he's gonna come back one day. You see greater love has nothing than this, than one who would lay down his life for his friends. Jesus did that and much more. And so in all those qualities, whether or not you believe that Jesus actually died, actually rose and actually is gonna come back, I guarantee you that if there was something in our lives that never faded, never failed, always came through and was the best thing that we could possibly ask for, and it resulted in treasuring in that led to a content heart in any and every circumstance, that every single one of us in this room would be about that. But even those of us that believe it, because I believed it while I was in college, but I still found myself in situations that was not content in any and every circumstance. And I think the root of it was that I allowed things that should not have been in the spot as my treasure seep in to become my treasure. And so we asked the question, why is it so easy to put in a spot, put things in a spot meant for Jesus? Why is it so easy to put other things in a spot that was only meant for the one who made you? And so you see, have you ever heard of uh, the rock called fool's gold? Fool's gold, it's like the pyrite, I think that's it. I'm just bad at science, but pyrite is like this fool's gold. Uh, and they don't call it that because it's super easy to tell the difference between gold and then this rock, right? They call it that because uh, it's called fool's gold because it's fool's easy is it's very easy to not be able to tell the difference. And oftentimes people walk away from this rock thinking that they have something super valuable, but in fact, it means nothing. And I'm not saying that relationships are a bad thing. And I'm not saying that your grades and doing well in school is a bad thing. I tried to do that all the time. But if we allow for that to step into a foundation that it doesn't belong in, we'll realize that it is not as valuable as the most valuable thing. It is not as precious as the most precious thing. And so it is so easy to put things in a spot that was only ever meant for Jesus because many of those other things in our life, like fool's gold are shiny, they're attractive, they're promising and they're very convincing. But whenever push comes to shove, just like we said, those things in this world aren't guaranteed that they're gonna last. And so whenever we're holding on to them, if they begin to fade away, what does that mean for our heart? What does that mean for our peace? What does that mean for our stability? What does that mean for our security? And so I wanna encourage you today, like date, like I'm not saying like, don't ever do it just because I've had a bad experience. Like I want you to do that. And I'm not saying don't try in school, don't pursue that career, but we need to allow these things to have a proper context and the proper place in our lives. So that way, whenever push comes to shove, we aren't left utterly disappointed. And so what if I told you that just because your grades are slipping, it doesn't mean that your hopes are out the window, right? What if I told you that just because your major change doesn't mean that your career is at an end? What if I told you that just because of some of the decisions that you made or you have made or you will make in college doesn't mean that you have to live in shame forever? What if I told you that just because you're broken up doesn't mean that you're broken? What if I told you that just because life and the circumstances doesn't go the way that you want it to, that it doesn't mean 
that life is over. You see, whenever we allow for Jesus to be our treasure, we allow for him to reside in the spot that was meant for him and only him, we can't be disappointed. Because even as every every other thing, as Paul's talking about, begins to fade, we're left with the only thing that really matters and the thing that we really care about. There are many things in this life that seem promising, but only one comes through as our foundation. And so if I was writing a note to myself, I'd say, Chad, this whole college thing is gonna be really hard. It's gonna be some of the best years of your life, but it's gonna be hard. There are gonna be times whenever you struggle with insecurity, you struggle with this instability of life. And you can continue to hold on to the things that will ultimately fade away. But if you let go of that and instead set your eyes on Jesus, the only one that was ever meant for that type of foundation, value things that are actually valuable, hold precious the one who is precious, treasure the only real treasure that we have in this life. And so I wanna leave you with that is this idea of treasure, treasure and allowing things to have the right place in your life. Thank you. Thank you so much, Chad, for giving us that word and sharing just some of your life experience with us this evening. So like I mentioned previously, our next speaker this evening is going to be Beth Brady. Beth Brady is actually part of our Living Room Atlanta team down at Buckhead Church. So she made the long drive all the way up here to come hang out with us. And I'm super excited about it because she's one of my favorite communicators and I look up to her a lot. Um, So Beth is a newlywed. She actually just got married about four months ago. So yeah, like let's give it up for that. That's awesome. Super exciting. If Beth could have any animal in the world as her pet, she would have an otter, which is understandable because they're adorable. And her favorite dessert of all time is an M&M McFlurry from McDonald's. She told me that after this talk, she's going to go get one. If the machines aren't broken, we don't know. But without further ado, put your hands together for Miss Beth Brady. Thank you. Thanks, Alyssa. And I love that somebody cheered for the M&M McFlurry. That's right. They're delicious and a little bit underrated. But, well, hey, guys, like Alyssa said, my name is Beth, and I am super excited to be here with you guys tonight. Um, And really, tonight, I just want to share part of my story and really how I have gotten to where I am. And for me, um, that actually starts before college. And so I grew up in what I would consider a very typical American Christian household. And my dad is a pastor and my mom is a preschool teacher. And I have one older brother named Daniel. And from a really young age, it was clear that my brother had really good artistic ability. And at For a while, I like admired his artistic ability. I admired what he was able to do. And then it turned into jealousy very quickly where I was like, I wish that I could do something like this. I was jealous of what he could create. I was jealous of that his art would be hanging on our walls and that people would come over and would awe over his ability. And for a long time, I wanted to be an artist like my brother. But I discovered very quickly that I did not get any of the artistic genes in our family and that my brother got all of them. And so I decided, okay, if I'm not gonna be the artist in the family, then sports will be my thing. I'll be the athlete in the family. And that works okay for me through middle school. I played basketball and I ran track and then I got to high school. 
And my freshman year of high school, I decided I was gonna try out for the basketball team. And I was like, I've got this, like no question about it, gonna be on the team. And then I didn't even make first cuts, which is super embarrassing. So I was devastated. I was like, all right, that's it. No more sports this year. The next year I decided I'm gonna try again, but I'm not gonna play basketball. I'm gonna run cross country. Any cross country runners in the room? A few of you, y'all are crazy. Like you're crazy. If you are not familiar with cross country, it's just running, that's it. That's the whole sport. You go to practice and you run. The meets are 3.1 miles long. You just run. I was not super familiar with how cross country worked. I just knew it was the only sport you didn't have to try out for. And so I was like, that seems safe. I'll run cross country. So I joined the cross country team and we have a few months of practice, which at that point I'm already regretting it. I'm like, what have I signed up for? It just became social hour. Like I would just kind of like jog, walk and talk to my friends. So we get to our first meet and we are racing against like every school in the county. So I'm racing against, I don't know, 100 and 150 girls. I start off the race, I'm feeling really good about myself. And I get towards the end of the race and I'm like turning the corner and I see the finish line and I'm like booking it. And as I get close to the finish line, I'm like, hmm, there isn't really anyone here. And by no one, I mean, it was like just my parents. Like my parents were the only people at the finish line. So I cross the finish line and I'm exhausted. Like I'm like huffing and puffing, I'm on the ground and my dad walks over. I was like, dad, so how'd I do? And I'm so tired, I'm like, maybe I won. Like maybe that's why no one's around, like I'm the first one here. And my dad was like, so um, the good news is you finished. The bad news is you came in last. That's right. Out of 150 people, I came in dead last. And not just last, like so far last. My parents were the only ones left. Everybody else had already like gone home. Like it's just me. And I would love to tell you that I got better. I didn't, it pretty much stayed that way. I did get diagnosed with exercise induced asthma, which made me feel a little bit better, but I didn't improve. Then I was just the girl running with an inhaler in my jersey, like not any better at all. So I was completely mortified. I was so embarrassed. And I was like, all right, I'm just gonna own it, not the athlete in the family. Like, that's just not gonna be my thing. It's not gonna be what I'm known for. But honestly, after that point in my life, I decided maybe just best to not actually try anything new at all. Like failing at the small stuff at that point felt bad enough that I just didn't wanna risk failing at anything else. I didn't wanna risk the embarrassment. I didn't wanna risk my reputation. And honestly, I just didn't wanna risk finding out that there was one more thing that I wasn't good at. So I spent the rest of high school just not really trying much, just kind of laying low and making my way through. So I graduated high school, I went to college. And like many of you, went to college having absolutely no idea what I wanted to do with my life. And so I went into school as an education major. I don't know why, I just chose something. So I went in as an education major and about one semester in was like, I don't wanna do this. Like I hate school. Why would I wanna spend the rest of my life here? So I was like, all right, not for me. So I went undeclared with my major. And honestly, at that point in my life was starting to feel pretty hopeless about my future. Because not only did I not know what I wanted to do with my life, what I had believed in college about not wanting to fail had, or what I believed in high school about not wanting to fail had carried over into college for me. And at that point, 
I was honestly beginning to believe that I did not have any sort of gift or talent or anything incredible to offer the world at all. And I couldn't think of a job that I would be good for because I genuinely didn't believe that there was really anything that I was good at. And if you would have asked me what I was interested in, I wouldn't have been able to answer the question for you. And I just overall did not have a great view of myself. And so I did the one thing that I knew how to do and I started to pray and I prayed a lot. And I prayed one very specific prayer. And my prayer was just, God, could I please just meet a really hot guy who makes a lot of money, who wants to marry me and make me a mom and then I can stay home and raise babies and that is gonna be where I'm gonna find my purpose and my meaning. And by the end of my sophomore year, y'all, I'm not lying, I declared my major in family and consumer sciences, which is just a fancy term for home ec because I was serious. Like I was making myself wife material. I was not messing around. But by the time I got to my senior year, I had absolutely no prospect of a husband and I still had no idea what I wanted to do with my future. And I found myself sitting in the passenger seat of one of my friend's cars after we had gone to dinner. And I remember just sobbing in her car. And I felt just so devastated. And I was like, not only do I not have anything to offer the world, not only have I now completely set myself up for failure because I have a major that is gonna get me nowhere in life, like what am I supposed to do with this? I also feel like I have absolutely nothing desirable to offer another person. And I was embarrassed and I was devastated. And I had just been living with this belief that hopefully one day I would just wake up and I would just find my thing. Like I would just figure out what it is that I'm supposed to do with my life. I would figure out what I was created to do. I would figure out what my purpose is. And if I could just figure that out, then everything else in life would fall into place and I would be able to walk with a little bit of clarity and direction. And what I didn't know then that I know now that I was really living with the belief that my purpose comes from what I do. That me just as myself wasn't enough, that there had to be something attached to my name. I had to be Beth the blank. There had to be something in the blank. And originally I wanted to be Beth the artist, but if that didn't work, then I could be Beth the athlete. And if I couldn't be Beth the athlete, then I could be Beth the teacher. And if I couldn't be Beth the teacher, then I could be Beth the wife and mom. And if I couldn't be Beth the wife and mom, then what could I be? And I genuinely did not believe that I would ever be able to fill in the blank. Then obviously I graduated from college and I ended up getting a job with a nonprofit in Atlanta. And so five days after graduation, I packed my bags and I moved from South Carolina where I was going to college to Atlanta. And about a year in to my job, I began to realize that I was feeling a lot of the same things that I had been feeling in high school and that I had been feeling in college. And while I had a job, I still didn't feel like I had a lot of purpose in my life. I didn't feel super fulfilled. But at that point, I decided that I should actually do something about it. And so I found myself sitting in a counselor's office, unloading all of these things that I had been keeping in my whole life. I told her that I didn't know what I was good at. In fact, I didn't know if I was good at anything at all. I told her that I didn't know what I was interested in. I didn't know what I enjoyed, that I didn't believe that I had any gifts and talents, that I didn't believe that I had anything to offer the world. And that ultimately I just didn't really have a good view of myself at all. And my counselor told me something that ended up changing the rest of my life. And she told me, she said, hey, Beth, I want you to fake it till you make it. 
And she said, and what I mean by that is I want you to stop being the one that determines what is true and not true about you. And I want you to spend time figuring out what your heavenly father thinks about you. And when you've figured it out, I want you to speak it over your life, even when you don't believe it. I want you to fake it till you make it. And so that's what I did. And I left and I spent time just searching through the New Testament. I spent time reading books. I spent time finding statements about what Jesus said was true about me. And ultimately what I discovered to be true of myself just summed up in something that Paul writes in Colossians where he says this. He says, for in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ who is head over every ruler and authority. You also are complete through your union with Christ. And I just began to speak this idea over myself that I am complete in Christ, which means that me, as I am, with nothing else attached to my name, that I'm accepted, that I'm chosen, that I'm loved, that I'm redeemed, that I'm forgiven, that I'm strong, and that I'm full of purpose. And the more that I began to speak this over myself, the more that I actually began to believe that it was true. And the more that I began to believe that it was true, the more that I actually started to live like it was true. And the more that I started to live like it was true, I realized that I actually was starting to take risks in my life. I realized that I was starting to say yes to things that I would have never said yes to before. I realized that I was beginning to walk a little bit more confidently. And I realized that I was beginning to believe that maybe, just maybe, God could use me for far more than I ever thought possible. And not because of anything that I had done, but simply because of who he had declared me to be. And really what I began to realize over time was that I was beginning to replace the lie that my purpose comes from what I do with the truth that my purpose comes from who I am. And who I am has already been declared by my heavenly father that I'm complete in him, that I'm chosen, redeemed, forgiven, and that I am full of purpose. And so if you would have told me in college that I would be working with students in the capacity that I do, that I would be standing on stages teaching, that I would enjoy my job, that I would actually believe that I had purpose in my life, I would have never believed that that was true because I didn't think that that was possible at all. But the crazy thing that happened was when I began to replace the lie that my purpose comes from what I do, with the truth that my purpose comes from who I am, I actually began to believe that, that God had actually created me with gifts that he actually had created me with purpose, that he actually had created me to do something and the gifts had already been there and God was ready to use them. I just had to spend time getting to know him in order to really get to know myself. And so if I could go back and do it all over again, the note that I would write to myself would be so simple. If I could go back and do it all over again, I would just tell myself to spend way less time figuring out what God wanted me to do with my life and spend way more time figuring out who God had created me to be. And if I had done that, I would have had far less self-doubt. I would have spent a lot less time worrying. I would have taken more risks. I would have said yes to more things. I would have walked with a clear direction. And I would have figured out way earlier in my life that no job title, no gift, no talent, absolutely nothing that I do would ever determine or give me purpose, but that that had already been declared by my heavenly father. 
And what I began to discover in my mid-20s is true for every single one of you right now. The reality for every single one of you is that your purpose comes from who you are, not what you do. That you too are complete in Christ, which means that you are forgiven, that you are redeemed, that you are chosen, that you are accepted, that you are loved, that you are strong, and that you are full of purpose. And I just believe that if you began to speak that over yourself, even when you didn't feel like it was true, one day you would wake up and you would realize that you actually do believe that it's true. And I think that if you actually believe that it was true, that you also would begin to live like it's true. And I think that you would realize one day that you're taking risks, that you're saying yes to things that you never thought that you would say yes to, that you're walking a little bit more confidently, that you're realizing that God has created you with a ton of gifts and that you too would begin to believe that maybe, just maybe, God could use you for far more than you ever thought possible. And not because of anything that you have done, but simply because of who your heavenly father has declared you to be. And that you too would begin to realize that no job title, no gift, no talent, absolutely nothing that you can do will ever earn your purpose, but your purpose has already been established by what your heavenly father believes is true about you. And what he believes is true about you is that you are all ready, complete. So what would it look like if we began to live like that's true? I would love to pray for you guys. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much for the truth that we are complete in you. That God, that in you, that we are enough, that in you, we have purpose. And God, that, that we don't have to spend time trying to seek it out, but God, that you have already declared that it is true over our lives. And so Father, I just pray that we would have the courage to begin to speak the truth over our life and would have the courage to begin to walk out that truth. Father, we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.